Hi, everybody. It's Richard with High on Healthy. And uh, we've got today we've got uh, Dr. Ingmar Gorman joining us, who's the co-founder of Fluence. Welcome aboard. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, you know, Fluence, it's an interesting organization and company. Um, you are a psychedelic education company focused on training mental health practitioners on how to use psychedelics as part of their treatment protocols, correct? That's right. So you don't, you've got a training program in Oregon, which is, um, tell me a bit about how that was developed and how many people have been going through it and what you're seeing so far as results in the market. Sure. Um, so yeah, Oregon is a very particular place to start. Um, it's progressive. Yeah, <laughs> progressive and also uh, somewhat unique actually to our current situation. Uh, so I'd be happy to maybe talk about Fluence, what Fluence does more broadly. Um, uh, but we can start with Oregon. So Oregon, uh, Fluence is an approved school uh, right. in Oregon uh, to uh, help uh, individuals to learn how to do, facilitate psilocybin experiences. And I use that, those words very intentionally because <clears throat> it can be can be very confusing in this industry. But right. Oregon didn't necessarily legalize psilocybin-assisted therapy. They legalized facilitated experiences. Okay. So for Fluence, you know, as you had mentioned, we focus on training mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, chosen for our program to create a little bit more of a barrier there that we've decided to focus only on mental health professionals. Okay. And they will be facilitating psilocybin experiences. So a trained a trained therapist with um, full accreditation is a requirement to enter your program. Yes. We okay. we do make some s- small exceptions if somebody, for example, has previously been a psychotherapist and may not have an active license. We will, you know, there's little edge cases, but for, for the most part, that is who we focus on. And that's, that's in uh, contrast to other uh, schools that might, uh, the minimum requirement set by the state is a high school edu- uh, education. So we are kind of, um, again, focusing on uh, mental health professionals. And there are many streams within the therapy or the school of therapy. Do you differentiate or as long as you actually are fully certified and educated, it's all right or allowable? Right. So um, as long as the specific to Oregon, if the person becomes uh, a license, they pass their licensing exam, right. they are able to then pr- facilitate those psilocybin experiences. Uh, and so the way that we particularly at Fluence teach or train, and this is true for the Oregon program, it's also true for all of the programs that we offer. Um, we take what we call a trans-theoretical approach. Right. So in other words, there isn't a particular kind of school or orientation that a person has to have of psychotherapy to do this work necessarily. Mm-hmm. We we have certain fundamental principles and tenets that we teach, but you can think of it a little bit more of a lens uh, through which a person can bring their own way of, of working. Right. Um, but of course, it's not just sort of pulled out of the air. What is important for us is that we're also leaning on the science and the clinical trials to br- bring those methods uh, to people, who, uh, to clinicians who are working in the community. And that that's really important because, you know, I've, I speak with a lot of therapists um, with regards to the the different ways in which you can use psychedelics and psilocybin and everything else as part of a treatment protocol. And there are questions about when's the right time. A lot of patients have the questions, you know, they think this is going to be my route through therapy. I can just dive in and confront my demons and go ahead. But 
an unguided journey can lead people astray. What's, you know, how do you look at building, uh, how do you recommend building a journey? Is it to start with a therapy, then go through a session? Is the session actually a good way in some ways for some people to start to open their the doors and for, help them confront their demons? Or what's the, what's the way you recommend to, to approach it? Well, I think it would be, be helpful to take a step back a little bit in terms of how we work and what we do. Sure. Um, actually, so maybe I'll, I'll say this to answer your question directly, is that what's what we think is really, really important is to support the autonomy of say the the patient or client right so that's sort of that's the that's the foundation at which we start right mm-hmm. and so depending the in the the context that the clinician is working in right if they're working in a clinical trial that's right. different than working in their private practice doing harm reduction and or supporting somebody through an ayahuasca experience who may be doing it in Peru so there's all these different contexts to uh that sort of um shape the answer to your question but with these sort of underlying tenant that we want to really support the decision-making and autonomy of the person who's seeking our help. Right. Um, so to take a step back and tell you what what we do as a company, um, we have this Oregon program. That's where we, where we started in terms of our conversation. Um, but we also developed and trained something called psychedelic harm reduction and integration therapy. And that is okay. essentially a method for clinicians to be able to work with their patients. When the patient comes in and says, I just read this book and I heard that psilocybin cures depression. Where do I start? <laughs> and the, and the therapist is might be completely caught off guard. They, uh, you know, what is legal? What is ethical? Can I recommend this? Should I dissuade them from doing it? How do I help them? You know, all these questions. So in this framework, we're not necessarily teaching the therapist how to administer psilocybin. It's about how to do preparation. It's how to do integration. It's about how to have the conversation about the psilocybin experience. So that's okay. a quick way of describing psychedelic harm reduction and integration. <laughs> we also have yeah. a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy training program, which is mm-hmm. psychedelic-assisted therapy. And then another vertical that we have is that we work with drug sponsors, with pharma- psychedelic pharmaceutical, com- pharmaceutical companies yeah. that have a molecule. Mm-hmm. They uh, are experts in the pharma uh, development process. They know how to take a drug to a medicine, but they don't know anything about psychotherapy. Right. And so they re- work with us as with Fluence, and um, we help them create their therapy manual, which is a document that manualizes the therapy. We make sure that it's consistent with the study protocol, which is a very, very, very important document that the FDA examines through and through. And we create right. training content like videos and demonstrations and quizzes and all that stuff. And then we deliver the training to those therapists who are going to be working on a clinical trial for a drug sponsor. And okay. so working um, the way that a therapist works in a clinical, you know, placebo controlled clinical trial is different from how they work in uh, the community. And of so course. I just wanted to kind of lay that out there just for your mm-hmm. listeners to kind of say, because when I provide an answer, <laughs> there are a lot of different kind of context and situations in which a therapist might be, you know, doing or working with the psychedelic. Absolutely. And yeah, that, you know, that's a really good clarification because I did jump a bit further ahead in, in the presumption, but um, it does come up a lot in terms of people asking, you know, when do I start? And it's a natural, it's a natural question because people are mm-hmm. curious and they don't understand, you know, what they should deal with before and, 
how does it fit together? So it's really interesting how you you are tackling and approaching it. Your background, um, you know, you're you are a trained psychologist, and you um, you went through Columbia and uh, Mount Sinai, and then through Bellevue, and uh, you've done your postdoctoral at uh, New NYU. That's right. And <clears throat> you started. How did the path shift for you between? The traditional approach and starting to look at psychedelics. Ah, <laughs> well, I think for me, the the, uh, the traditional approach came second. <laughs> so, so that's um, fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, that's actually a, that's a great way to have it, right? Because you're coming at it from the perspective of how do I apply this to helping the problem, right? They they are they're not different, but they are very distinct paths. That's that's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I became aware of psychedelics uh, mm-hmm. and without providing too much detail about my my life story, um, I, I was on a leave of absence from the University of Chicago and was trying to figure out what I would be doing with my life. And there mm-hmm. I discovered psychedelics right. during that time and went to psychedelic conferences, went to, to Burning Man. I, I was the kind of person then in my life that I went to Burning Man to attend the lectures. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I was quite introverted at that time. That was like what I did. Um, so I spoke to Rick Doblin and I said, hey, what do I do in order to um, follow this career path? I really want to become a psychedelic therapist. And so that was the beginning, uh, but then I went to the you know uh, several institutions, including the uh, the New College of Florida and the New School in New York, uh, as well mm-hmm. as the the ones that you had mentioned. And that's where the more traditional training, both in first in science, science and then in therapy. Right. Um, so I always carried that with me that 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 passion for doing psychedelic therapy and research. Well, I think it's really important that integrated approach because that gives you the full perspective. It also helps you provide the patient with a perspective whether what whether psychedelics are right for them and wh- which path to choose because that's a that's a critical decision. That's right. You know, and this uh, kind of goes back to your previous question about where to start, <clears throat> and this is almost like a philosophical orientation or kind of an interesting question. Um, when I teach, I often dive into this question of what does it mean to prescribe? Mm-hmm. So when a doctor prescribes, they are making a recommendation. They're almost making a, a directive. You know, Here, take this pill. It will help you with your headache. Right. And I do think that there's a little friction between that concept of prescription and psychedelics. Right. Because when a person chooses to take a psychedelic, um, they're again coming back to that sense of autonomy or decision making. It's really important that 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 is a decision that they have decided to make, and they, as best as they can, fully understand and comprehend what that might entail. Even though these experiences are ineffable and difficult to prepare for, it's still important. And so, I, one thing that I'm a little bit cautious about is a future where perhaps, say, a doctor will be prescribing. Even even if it is psilocybin assisted therapy, right, and the patient thinks, "Oh well, this is going to get rid of my depression," mm. let, uh, let's do it. Um, when they don't fully, um, they may not fully comprehend what that treatment might entail. They don't always understand what doors is going to unlock, and they don't. Unfortunately, you know, not, part of the challenge for a lot of people who are dealing with the issues is they're really dealing with a mental health injury. And they haven't confronted what that injury is, either because it's 
too traumatic or they've buried it out of shame or stigma which is you know and, and don't have been taught it's you know something wrong with them as opposed to no they were injured and it's no different than a broken arm except the broken arm people can see and they can point to and they know they can set and what to do and then they'll sign your cast and tell jokes about you know anything about it with a mental health injury they can't see it they can't wrap their head around it and unfortunately we bury that as well and that's where i think psychedelics are incredibly valuable is it it helps us take away that barrier that we erect ourselves around the injury so that we can confront it yeah yeah i would i i agree tentatively in the sense that i think that this is true particularly mm -hmm. around trauma but mm -hmm. but i'd also even go beyond that that there's aspects or ways that it seems like these compounds can be helpful for people um even beyond the subjective experience component i'm a right. big fan of the subjective experience i'm a therapist yeah <laughs> but um you know there are cases right where studies have shown that um again these are preliminary studies but uh, where for example psilocybin has been useful for uh, ocd and there was really no therapeutic support mm -hmm. um, and then the ocd returned after say 24 hours but right. there, you know this is the sort of beauty of this work where there are uh for personally uh, you know despite also having a strong um, appreciation for the spiritual. I also um, view biology as sort of underpinning everything. Yes. And um, so my point here is that there are definitely psychological mechanisms of action that you're talking to, which kind of address those wounds yep. that have been unaddressed or, or, yep. or, and then there are also just kind of almost mechanistic um, uh, uh, pathways as well. And I don't think one, we don't want to be reductionistic, but right. and I, and hopefully it's both of them. That's what I really like about this work. That's sort of an integration of those two mm -hmm. things. Um, but I just want to put the word out for that. That it's 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 many different pathways to to healing. Hopefully, no, absolutely. And you know, there's so many different conditions that need to be treated. I was really talking about the one aspect, of course, that right. if you're dealing with abuse or trauma. Um, and you know, I was reading a report two weeks ago. Uh, there's a large study underway with regards to some of the benefits um for people with autism in mm -hmm. that it, there's a <clears throat> uh, neural pathway connections that get established or that help break down certain barriers and you know it'll be interesting to see how that develops it's not like you just go out and start trying but it's something which is well worth studying yes i, I mean there's a study that uh alicia danforth published now quite a few years ago that looked at uh mdma for people who have uh, social anxiety and uh, are on the autism spectrum and yeah. the mdma was found to be uh, very helpful for people it, it didn't it didn't necessarily cure autism but it uh, no. significantly diminished the the social anxiety yeah. but it, there are also you know there may be new compounds and new studies to look at more directly addressing the the autism yeah no there's i think there's constant work and sometimes it's you know you can't you can't necessarily cure things, but you can provide people tools by which they learn different pathways to handle things that just open doors for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you know, given the, the surge of interest around psychedelics and their potential, Fluence identified the training program. And what's the gap between, you know, the market demand and the need in Oregon, how many therapists are really required and needed for understanding psychedelic sessions 
to meet the demand because I mean, Oregon's a small state, but it's representative of the rest of the country. I think that's a really difficult uh, question to answer. Um, so that, you know, the short version, I don't really have an answer to that question. And again, I think it's also really important to remember the caveat around um, it being psilocybin assisted experiences and not necessarily therapy, because there's so yes. much that sort of stems out of that. For example, um, insurance coverage, right? So that you malpractice insurance for the, the clinicians, right? There's no malpractice coverage. Right. So um, uh, how do the facilitators intersect with the prescribers and the service centers that are being set up. So the way that I'm answering that question is we may not have a true reflection of what the market demand is because there are all, there are significant constraints on how much a person can pay to access such an experience. Uh Um, You know, how will they, how will they be supported? How the the providers are supported. The importance of Oregon is that it was a first, uh, first step it was they they did they're the first state in the country to legalize some sort of psychedelic facilitation Uh Uh, and just maybe it's helpful also to for your listeners because well i think your listeners are probably well informed about this but i'll say it anyway that there are differences between decriminalization legalization um deprioritization and so often people think oh well the the state will de decriminalize a psychedelic and then they think psychedelic therapy is legal right and that and that's not necessarily that's not the case actually so mm-hmm. uh colorado is coming up next in terms of the legalization of these experiences so you know in terms of fluence if uh i'd have to look at our data i believe we've trained somewhere around 100 or 120 um facilitators up to this point okay. yep. but recognizing that we have a pretty high barrier of entry because a person has to be a licensed mental health professional right and uh, there are many people who are very passionate about facilitating such experiences don't who don't necessarily have that background yeah but that's you know that's a uh that's a great number to start with and you know that that shows really the the therapists are coming to you to undergo the training because they don't just see the benefit but they also see their patients asking them about it and recognizing that it should be part of their um, protocols and treatments and so that speaks really uh, well to the broad base acceptance and interest in pursuing um, this as part of a therapy uh, treatment program and that open-mindedness wasn't necessarily around 20 years ago. It's interesting how dramatically we've shifted that. Do you see that accelerating or do you see it? <clears throat> and I, it's not really the word, accelerating isn't the really word, but do you see the understanding of the different applications of psychedelics and therapy becoming more broad and accepted in mainstream? Or do you see it still being within certain areas like you know there's a lot of people who come out of the military who are looking to that and recognizing that it's going to help them with ptsd but there's a more you know the general market is always growing and different where do you see that changing well i do think that these uh i'll refer to them as treatments Mm -hmm. uh, uh will continue to just expand rapidly uh, they are. Um, I think there's a huge uh, built-up demand around these facilitated or therapeutic experiences, and it's a right. shame that. Uh, well, it's understandable that 
we need to have proper regulation uh, and FDA you know, oversight to really identify whether these are harmful or, or helpful um, uh, compounds. So uh, I understand the pace, but also I just, you know, to speak to what you had mentioned about, say, veterans, uh, there are many people who are uh, using psychedelics on their own in order to address some of the issues that they're facing because they don't have the 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 time or resources to be able to to wait. Uh, right. And that's also where fluence comes in around their our harm reduction and integration program because um, it means that any therapist can be supportive and helpful, help a, a patient minimize risks and maximize the benefits of, of right. those, those experiences without necessarily having to have to prescribe to administer the psychedelic. Um, uh -huh. You know, I think that in terms of our mission at Fluence, we're really interested in training those mainstream therapists. Right. That's one of our goals. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we are, um, we respect other kinds of approaches, uh, say, for example, like a shamanic kind of approach, uh -huh. but that's not something that we um, train people in. Right. Because our um, our vision, our uh, prediction is that, um, you know, I always think about my, you know, like my grandmother, right? You know, what uh -huh. would, who would she feel safe uh, in yes. our cultural context? Yep go to receive a psychedelic treatment from uh -huh. and so um again that's that's specific to us and so those are the kinds of clinicians that i'm looking to to train right and um you know to that end what we've done we've just announced this uh yesterday we've uh -huh. actually redesigned our sort of certificate programs in a way to decrease the amount of time and the cost okay. to um to access that training. And then we've re redesigned it in a way where there's this sort of foundational training called psychedelic therapy and integration. Right. And then after that, there are mod molecule specific kind of add-ons uh -huh. so that um, a person doesn't have to go through a whole certification for ketamine and then a whole certification for arm reduction integration, and then a whole certificate for MDMA. They can uh -huh. add molecule or sort of advanced topics to it and then receive certificates in that way. And so that's how we're kind of trying to um, you know, thread this needle around uh, the the access and the demand. Right, and that's that's really important because different practitioners will have different focuses and you know spectrums within their practice that they really do work with. And that you know that leads to the question, of course, a therapist or practitioner, what do they need to expect in terms of coursework, time commitment, you know, hands-on experience to complete a, a certificate? So uh, previously, our programs were about, a depending on which one, uh, just to say Oregon here um, is very, that's, it's a very specific program because it is, it meets certain criteria that the state has li lined out. So for example, that's right. 160 hours because that's what the state says. Right. There's nothing that we can do to, to change that. Uh -huh. um, previously, our certificate programs were in a similar number of hours, 150, 160 hours. Right. We're bringing them down for to about uh, 30 hours for the fun the fundamentals. Uh -huh. And then every um, additional kind of area of focus is about another 60 hours. So in total, you know, bringing it down to 90 hours, which uh, again, reduces the, both the um, time that it takes a, a student or clinician to go through this training and also of course reduces right. the total cost to them 
And does that include their coursework and the hands-on experience, 90 hours, or is... So so what we do is we... Um, we this kind of speaks to uh, how we might be different from some of the other education companies out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're huge advocates of technology. Well, there's two pieces. One is we really focus on skill building not just knowledge acquisition. So this is sort of getting into the didactics of it, right? Right. If you sit there passively listening to somebody lecture about psilocybin, we don't think that that's really sufficient to become a good practitioner. Right. The best way to to, um, develop a skill is to practice. Uh And so we focus a lot on that. And then the way that we are able to do that is through the use of technology. So one very simple approach, which many people use, is using Zoom, having breakout rooms, doing role plays, uh, having a whole feedback model around that. But another thing that we do is we um, use uh, essentially a a software or website to present to students uh, little, very specific moments in therapy, Uh say 30 seconds, a minute, two minute long. There might be, there's a patient actor who is again representing a certain moment, conflict, something in the therapy. And then the, the student, after they're trained, they can watch that video. They record themselves uh, giving a response. They can re-record themselves on their webcam responding to that situation. And then we can give them expert feedback on how they performed. So almost kind of like a micro learning uh, right. in order for them to practice very specific skills that are that we have in a, in a rubric. Yeah, so it's not just a process that you walk into. It actually becomes quite cyclical and circular, where you the the therapist and the both the therapist and the patient are learning on a continue. It's a continuous learning experience. That's right. Just to be clear, though, that the patient is not a patient; they're an actor. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I just. Yeah. No. You're. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to make just for our listeners to 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 be clear on that. But yes, it's a continuing experience. And the other thing about it is that it's specific. So, like, if we give somebody a vignette and have them do an improv for fifteen or twenty minutes, that's really good for them to be able to kind of feel into what is it like to be in the situation for fifteen twenty minutes, working with a real, uh, you know, another uh, trainee who's pretending to be the patient. Right. Uh, but. Some, but you can't rely on improv to put a therapist in a very specific uh, situation. Absolutely. And so this is how we're able to kind of do a little bit of both. And so uh, this is going back to your question about how do we kind of uh, train people? So uh-huh. this, this, and then there's also an experiential component that we do. But one thing that we don't do compared to some of the other companies out there is that we don't provide psychedelics as part of a person's training experience. Okay. Including ketamine. Right. And that's because, you know, we are trying to be as mainstream as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we respect other groups that choose uh, that route to say administer ketamine as part of a training experience. But for us, you know, even though say ketamine is off label, uh, it still has to be prescribed for a medical condition. And so it's not, it's not legitimate to say, well, I'm going to give somebody ketamine for a training experience. Sure. And so we're just sort of a little bit extra conservative when it comes to, uh, es- to that. Well, uh, especially since everybody's experience is going to be so different and personal, just having gone through one doesn't mean you have the expertise, right? It just means, yeah, I've tried it, but my experience would be completely different than yours. 
Yeah, 100%. Right. And, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes I'm speaking with people who have led uh, groups and whatnot through experiences, and it's fascinating. But their perspective on the process is very subjective and not objective. And one of the things that your, you know, therapist, um, you know, or um, anybody who's uh, practicing with you or training with you really has to maintain is that objectivity because you're the person who's trying, they're trying to help. And if it's subjective, they're not going to do their job properly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think humility is a part of that, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. as clinicians, we love to uh, to have the answer to know. And one of the, the, you know, one of the fundamental pillars of how we train is to, it's this dialectic between you need to have some sort of framework. You do need to have some theory or orientation because you're going to, as a clinician, you're going to get lost. Right. <laughs> and it's okay to get lost yeah. sometimes, but you don't want to be completely lost in Absolutely. this in this interaction experience. But at the same time, you don't want to think that you know exactly what the person has to feel, what, you know, do they have to have a mystical experience or not? You know, there's all these assumptions in the world of uh, psychedelics and there's some data to support some of this, but there's a lot of kind of, um, I guess you could say cultural baggage around, uh, you know, what is the psychedelic experience? And so we try to inform people about what can happen, but mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, tell them what the, the patient needs to experience and that they need to hold that same perspective. Right. And I guess, interesting enough, it all, your cultural background also would be a huge effect on that because somebody who's from, you know, has a background in Eastern med- medicine, uh, or you mentioned shamanic or, you know, traditional, will have a completely different approach, but will listen to the patient differently. And the objectivity that's needed to understand also the patient's background and how they'll interpret the experience has to be quite different. And I and I want to be respectful also to those uh, to other cultures or cultures that are sort of um, say foreign to me. Whereas you know you you may have a person who so for example working with again I'm not an expert in this area but a particular shamanic way of working where say the, uh, the pathology not even a word that they would use but sort of the the ailment is caused say by um, you know a neighboring shaman that has shot sort of a a, a you know a, a spiritual dart that has gone and right. lodged itself into the person who is unwell and then they go see a shaman and sometimes they will take the uh, the say ayahuasca or maybe the shaman will and uh-huh. so it, it comes down to cultural congruency right if that's what the sort of quote unquote client is is looking for then yep. it's really important that they are matched up and they find the person who has that cultural framework in order to be able to help them but again kind of coming back to our kind of main mainstream or sort of our, our cultural perspective in the United States and in Europe, um, it is one where I think we still need to have that kind of cross-cultural lens, uh, but but a little be a little bit uh, less attached to a one particular one, while also recognizing our limitations. If somebody like that who had that worldview around um, shamanism, I wouldn't feel comfortable working with them because I don't know that, I don't know their, their world. Right. And that's an important safety protocol that's part of your program then is that objectivity and perspective absolutely and is that something which you're noticing 
most um, training institutes do spend time on? Or is it something which you find that Fluence is quite different from the others in terms of your the blend of technical knowledge, safety protocols, and the object objective understanding of human psyche? I'd like to think that particularly the the last part around having the multiple lenses and, and uh, objectivity as best as possible is the thing that we're most strong in. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't taken other training programs. Um, of course, we many of us come from the same lineage of being trained either by maps and right. there's a whole, um, and so many of them are my colleagues. And so I, you know, I, I would never want to, you know, I, I'm proud of what we disparage we anybody. Yeah, we don't have to disparage basically <laughs> what you're, what you're doing well, is identifying yeah. gaps that you see. That's right. And developing from there to try and flush it out, to make it more useful and applicable for anybody. But at the same time, you're trying to bring something new, not just the psychedelics, but a new perspective back so that people in general can have their mental health addressed more efficiently. You no, know, I'll say that um, I was speaking to somebody, they did an analysis and I don't know what the defining criteria were, but they said that they identified over 500 different psychedelic training courses uh, today. Right. And so the quality of that is going to vary greatly. And some, um, you know, as clinical psychologists, my co-founder and I, huh? there's a certain, we are trained in a way to have um, both this lens on the science and on the psychotherapy and the subjectivity. And so we are able to hold that. Um, whereas there are many people out there, unfortunately, who I think have just started up a school or, or you know, self-paced video, and they've had their own psychedelic experiences, which have been profoundly helpful to them. Um, mm -hmm. And, but then their own experience often becomes the map for how it's done. And right. that's sort of how we, I think are, are different, that that's not necessarily, that's not how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's tremendous because that's I think you know a lot of people that I've spoken to, they think well they're going to get you know what's the point of therapy? I'm just going to listen to what's wrong with me, as opposed to no, this is actually something completely different than that, and uh, that that's a that's a challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's you know part of where people need to. You can't, you can't be healed or heal, help yourself or be assisted in being healed without understanding yourself. And therapy is trying to open the door so you can do that. Yeah, and what I would add to that is also the therapeutic relationship, which yeah. is which is really key. That um, you know this happens we really emphasize that these experiences happen in the interpersonal contact context, the interpersonal relationship and sort of the, the love and caring that happens is uh, we believe a really important part of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ingmar, we are out of time for today, but people who want to learn more about fluence, who want to go through the training, where can they learn more? You can go to fluencetraining.com or or fluence.org, uh, right. both URLs will point to us. Uh, if you're interested in our very latest, just released yesterday uh, certification program, you can go to fluencetraining.com slash apply. Right. And one other question I should ask is, professionals who are not in state and Oregon, but who are interested in learning, can they participate in the program even though they won't be able to get a certification? So I should, so I should say, 
Yeah, say that, you know, 95% of our programming is available to anybody, no matter where they are in the U.S. The the Oregon program specifically is obviously limited to just people in Oregon. And so if you are not in Oregon and you are interested in the Oregon program, uh, I believe that you have to be an Oregon resident in order to take the program, but that that will open up to um there was some t- time period limitation in terms of who could apply set by right. the state yeah um so i would say if you're interested in any of the programs visit our website reach out to us contact us uh, i'm available at ingmar at fluenttraining.com and we're happy to answer your questions and kind of help you guide you to the um the program that might be best for you fantastic well i you know i think it's incredibly valuable um or any professional to go through it to learn more and to be able to help people in new and novel and innovative ways. Well, thank you I for really joining appreciate us. Your invitation. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. It was a yeah, pleasure no, speaking to you. Pleasure speaking with you. Wonderful conversation. I hope we'll have you on again uh, at some point in the future. And yep. Yeah, and thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard with High on Healthy, and we'll be back again with you shortly.